Hello and welcome to the second ever episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast. We're back at the video store for another Friday night rental. And this week I'm looking for a change of pace from the gasoline-soaked action of Bad Max. I see the other junkies are over in the comedy section, so let's see if they have any suggestions. Coming this summer from Columbia Pictures, a movie that asks the question, would you buy a used car from this man? Oh, here at New Deal Used Cars, we are uh, stripping away inflation. We're taking off those high prices. Or this yeah, man. We have a group of immoral charlatans masquerading as businessmen. They will stoop to the lowest. Oh, Roy. Would you buy a used car from this man? Sign your name. Ray. On. Or from this man. I want you to look inside. No, I don't want to look inside. Oh, just get in the car. Get in That's right. This episode, we're talking about something of a hidden gem. Robert Zemeckis' 1980 romp, Used Cars. How can a film created by Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale, Steven Spielberg, and John Milius be considered a hidden gem? Well, the video store junkies will discuss that and more on tonight's episode. Let's start by going around and introducing ourselves and just talking about how we first uh, discovered this film and what our relationship with it is. And let's uh, let's go down the alphabet this time and start with Alan. Okay, so my introduction to used cars, I was 16, so that would have been 1987. Um, so I worked at Kmart when I was 16 and my boss, he was, all, he was always saying some, some joke about something. And it's like, where did you hear that? And he, and he would just keep saying used cars, used cars. And I'm, I was like, I gotta see this movie. And that's where he, he would always walk around saying, Jesus, Palomino. And I'm like, where did you get that used cars? So I had to go watch used cars. So I watched it when I was 16. And, um, that's all I got. <laughs> cool. Uh, I watched it when I was 16, and then I watched oh, it again when I was 49. Did, did you? Yeah. That's a good. Good gap. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear how it held up. Did you also? Did you actually introduce yourself and say your name, or do you want to? You don't have to. I'm not sure, but I'm okay. Alan Watkins. There you go. Uh, uh, how about you, Bill? I'm not Alan Watkins. Oh, yes, about the movie. Uh, <laughs> so let's see. My first experience with used cars would have been a few years ago at a at the uh, Carolina movie theater when they were doing some of their great retro horror things and they showed the ad for it. And that triggered a memory of, uh, yeah, I remember when that movie came out, I think it was a week after um, airplane. And uh, so I was probably watching airplane for about the third or fourth time when used cars came out. It, It turns out that this had one of the best screenings um, early screenings that they in the history of the movie theater, the movie um, company. So, Columbia. Yeah. yeah, Columbia is like the greatest test screening ever. They they just saw money signs, so of course they they pushed it a month ahead and released it without any good build up or ads, and it bombed. Which shows that movie theaters are run by chimpanzees. They, they prove this over and over again. Not the smart chimpanzees that learn how to use tools to get termites. Just the regular dumb poo flinging chimpanzees. So I never saw this movie until you, you know, threw it out there. And so my first experience with the actual movie was last week. And uh, I feel like I, I would have enjoyed it if I'd seen it back when I was, uh, let's see, 20. I can do math. And I'm, just, I'm not sure if, like, people realize for, for a movie to have been out since 1980 and Bill Mulligan not to have seen it until 2020. It's actually uh, the no. last one. 
That's you know, I, mean, I don't even have any words. First of all, first of all I didn't even I'm introduce sorry. myself, but I am Bill Mulligan, and uh, <laughs> that which explains a lot. And you know, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen. People always like to say that. It's like, oh wow, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. There's a lot of famous. I've never seen Forrest Gump. My wife forced me to watch Short Circuit uh, a couple weeks ago because I had I'm to sorry. watch. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I had to watch some other movie, and one of the characters was in it. And so she said, oh, my God, he's in short circuit. And I stupidly said, you know, I never actually saw it. So she made me watch it. And, it, you know, maybe if I'd seen it when I, you know, at the right age, which I'm thinking is when I would have been four or something, that that would have been like the greatest movie ever. But then I would turn five and realize what a piece of garbage that was, you know. Anyway, used cars I liked quite a bit. Cool. Moving uh, on. <laughs> well, how about you? Um, I have no clue when I first saw this. Oh. <laughs> I it, sometime between 1980 and probably the mid 90s, mid to late 90s. I'm not really sure. I know I didn't see it in the theater because, um, like, like Bill said, I was like airplane, yeah. and then used cars. What's that? Um, and, but I saw it, caught it on either home video or DVD or cable or something, some multiple times since then, and uh, absolutely loved it. I mean, there's, it's, it's eminently quotable it's got such a great cast um mm. and it it still holds up so uh yeah i i, I love this um so uh, uh cardulo by the way so i i, I, I forget <laughs> that sometimes um, that's why it's sewn into my label of my shirt uh <laughs> anyway yeah <laughs> there, there's uh, where are we at that uh how about you uh renee um i have not I have seen this movie now. I was going to say, I have not seen this movie. Um, <laughs> what are you doing just here? Just grammatical error on my end. Um, I just watched this movie for the first time uh, a couple weeks ago uh, with Paul. And uh, it was good. It was, you know, kind of what I would refer to as a giggle fest. I think I laughed from the moment it started till the moment it ended. It was just kind of a good all around movie. I really liked it. And again, same, you know, Echo the same uh, response. Great actors. Uh, Toby the dog was probably my favorite in the movie. Uh, but yeah, it was great. I liked it. Cool. Well, yeah, I think uh, I, I was actually, I, I had Toby on my notes to talk about uh, one of the best performances in the film. A film mm -hmm. filled with great performances. Yeah, so uh, I'm Zachary. Uh, I'm one of the obviously many hosts here. Uh, so I, I remember seeing this, I remember this being on my list in like the mid-90s when I first started getting into like film and watching like understanding that you know directors had filmographies and so i definitely you know i had seen the back to the future movies i loved them and then i remember wanting to kind of watch everything that robert zemeckis had done at the time and i recall uh, i was i lived in a small town where you know if you had like two video stores and if they didn't have the movie you wanted to watch it was kind of hard to get your, your hands on it uh, so I actually remember finding this, a VHS copy of this, in a thrift store at one point and being very excited and uh, thinking it was absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah, so it's actually kind of funny. I think, Bill, you mentioned uh, mm -hmm. this This is kind of, I think, do you guys think it's inappropriate to call this kind of a hidden gem of a film? Because I feel like this is a movie that is not really talked about or discussed, especially when people talk about like their favorite 80s comedies. I yeah. feel like this never comes up. 
I think it's a great example of a hidden gem. It, yeah. It's, it has, you know, it has a small cult following. It's, it's with a bunch of people who went on to bigger things. So you get to see them. Oh my God, you know, Kurt looks so young. And, uh, you know, Zemeckis went on to do a lot of whole, a lot of good stuff. I mean, it's got a great pedigree, but no, it, it doesn't get mentioned very often. When you took great comedies of the eighties, you get the high points and everything, but this one, this one will be mentioned by people who are kind of hit. Oh, don't forget used cars underrated. They'll always put that in there. You know, yeah. it is underrated. It's, it's not that it's not like it was unpopular. I think, I think most of the reviews were pretty good. It just, I think it did bomb though. I think, it, oh, I think financially it, it was, a, was a disaster. underperformed for sure, especially since they were expecting so much from it because, yeah. you know, the people who saw it loved it, but, people didn't go see it and that's that's marketing fail right there well another thing with films and just in this era 1980 is is kind of a it's kind of a weird time because in 1980 we did not have a vcr so and i was 10 years old so if i was mm. going to go see something it would be at the theater now at 10 years old i would not have gone to see this movie right and um i hope not yeah this if, if you sort of look at this this is not really a movie that would be something that they could sort of uh you know edit and put on you know the the broadcast tv that that we had in the 82 so I, 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 that might be you know when we talk about these hidden gems i think there's probably a lot from this era just because of that it's, it's something that if you saw it it had to be at the theater and it didn't really come on tv after that so if you were going to see it you kind of had to have a vcr and know what you know what you were looking for yeah well so i think that there are a lot of you know hidden gems that are kind of unknown because if you go and look at them like oh you know this was directed by someone who never did anything else or right whatever the the crazy thing to me is the like bill mentioned the creative team behind this movie and we'll kind of get into that like later but like just reading off the kind of creative credits on this film so you have robert zemeckis and bob gale writing it who uh, they were pretty much complete unknowns at the time. They had worked, and, and I think a lot of this movie came from, actually came out of 1941, because hmm. uh, a lot of the people involved in this film were actually involved in 1941. And uh, the the I think the idea actually originally came from John Milius, who executively yeah. produced it, um, who also worked on 1941. Uh, so, But you have, so Zemeckis and Gale, uh, five years away from releasing... Uh, Back to the Future, which would obviously kind of right. put them both on the map and was one of the biggest uh, franchises of the 80s. You have, yeah, uh, uh, Milius had, you know, he had written, he had a couple of screenplays and a couple of uh, direct uh, directorial uh, credits already. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he was still, uh, he was still a couple of years away from making some of my favorites, uh, particularly right. Conan and, and Red Dawn. And then you have Steven Spielberg, executive producer, uh, who obviously he was a huge, he was a huge force in Hollywood in 1980, but he was still a few years away from actually being like one of the biggest kind of creative forces in the industry. Because mm -hmm. I mean, this was still a year before Raiders, two years before E.T., so he had he had a couple of hits. Uh, he had just come off of 1941, which was not a huge hit. It was kind of like his first dud. Um, but I don't know. It's it's just crazy to me that you know still with those people involved, this still seems to be a movie that, yeah, like you said, is is maybe a cult film at at best. 
lots of lots of people in this movie, lots of great actors. So do we want to get into kind of some of our favorite roles and our favorite characters? And uh, like I think someone said, you know, there are so many good lines in this movie. And I think it's I think that the, the script obviously has a lot of good lines. Uh, I think that obviously a lot of it is the, the actors uh, in the movie are are do a great job of. I mean, we'll, we'll probably say actually save Kurt Russell for last because I kind of want right. to talk about him. <laughs> There's a lot to say about him. Uh, does anyone else want to? I guess we can kind of go down and just talk about like who our favorite characters and actors. And well, one, and one thing I wanted to bring up before we went there is I did, you know, yeah. I, how I said that this was not the kind of movie that you would probably see on TV. When I was looking it up, I did. They did make a version apparently that came out in 1985 where they yeah. edited seven minutes and were able wow. to show it on TV. Yeah, but it would lose yeah. a lot. Yeah, I know that there, it there would was lose a, a lot. There, there was a, I, I know there's at least like one line there. Was, I was listening to the commentary before, and they said, for instance, Garrett Graham. Just even when he just yells out "Jesus Christ," they he they have it recorded as "Jesus was it cheese and rice," and it's <laughs> like rice. Really, really cheesy, like really bad, yeah. But yeah, so much I, of this would just would. I would love you know. I kind of miss that. I kind of miss that now that we can pretty much show anything we want on network TV and say whatever we feel like it. I really do miss that. cheese and rice. <laughs> brother trucker you know whatever they would come up with to, to get away with you should it. watch the watch the good place oh, well, yeah. no, not that we yeah. not that we ever go off on tangents but yeah Paul no. may remember <laughs> this i we went and bill you were there we went to um you know remember we went to horror find and mm -hmm. i didn't even know who pj sparks was <laughs> you remember this paul pj souls maybe for him that's pj sparks yeah yeah the hell is <laughs> pj souls a porn actor. <laughs> That's oh, okay. he, he didn't know I don't who she is either. Paul was trying to describe me like who she was in the movie, and for I don't for some this reason in front of her. She, she, she and I were both trying to describe it to, to Alan. Well, so, yeah. Paul ahead, Paul said she's the one that was topless in the bed, and I said there's nudity in Halloween. Oh. I had never seen. I realized I had never seen the actual movie, the whole movie. I'd seen it on TV like ten times, and of course they edited that out. But yeah. the other tangent, real quick. Um, I, I'm, I'm you went on a tangent AMC, while going on a tangent. That's great, right? It was AMC or Sci-Fi or somebody. This was back in like the early two thousands. They sort of stopped cutting things out of movies, and they went through and they just kind of blurred stuff. Oh yeah, and I love that so much more because it's like you you got to see every scene. Something they wanted to cut out instead of cutting it out, they just blurred it so that you know you you sort of got that continuity with with whatever the movie was. So it was like it was like cops where they would just blur something, right? You know, if somebody was getting out of the shower or like that's the scene I remember. I don't remember them ever showing Halloween, but in Halloween they would have shown that full scene. It's just they would have blurred out you know the part that they couldn't show. Uh, they should have used. They should have just had little floating bars. You know that would have been better. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this this is actually interestingly enough, this was Zemeckis's second film, his first R-rated film, and the the only R-rated film he would direct for like twenty years. So what was his What was his first film? Uh, his so his first film was actually another movie that he had worked with Bob. Well, I, I mean, his first it, his second movie he directed. He I think he had written. Uh, he had worked on 1941 as a writer. Um, but his first, uh, like, actual directorial debut was some movie that I had never heard of called I Want to Hold Your Hand. Oh, oh I know that yeah, one. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was about the Beatles. It was about, like, wasn't it about, like, some... Yeah, it was about uh, the Ed Sullivan show. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Huh. That's um, that's interesting. I'm I'm amazed all these people had worked on 1941 and got to ever work again because that movie well, lost a fortune. Well, to be talk fair, about bomb. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think uh, I think they had started on this one before because oh. 1941 had come out the year before. Uh, Lucky break. So yeah, it was probably already in production by the time uh, the the studio realized that 1941 was not uh, the hit that they expected from the director of Jaws. Right. Uh, that's a there's a lesson to learn folks uh when you got one under your belt jump do, yeah. do not take a break jump into the next one because you don't know what's going to happen they would have fired these guys on the spot after losing all that money but luckily they went on to well lose money with this one too but then romancing the stone so yeah, romancing you know, stone, and then four years later they let him direct another movie and with one of the worst titles in the history of movies and yet a good movie that made a lot of money so well, it's go. funny. Apparently, they also blamed the the title of used cars for for some of its failure. But yeah, uh, they blamed. Listen, let me let me tell you, let me tell you something about these sons of bitches. Let me go off on a tangent here. These yes, these social disease criminals here, they will blame everyone and everything with the for the lamest reasons for for the failure of films that they that they market poorly. Um, you know, so John Carter of Mars. All right, it, it should have been a monster hit. Good movie, great pedigree. I mean, everything going for it. And then they came out with Mars Needs Moms, and the movie died at the box office. So in a great panic, they, they got their heads together, and it's like, well, uh, is there a good reason why Mars Needs Moms uh, died at the box office? I've got it. It must be the name Mars. People don't like Mars. Throughout human history, humans have always had a grudge against Mars. So we're going to take John Carter of Mars and just take it off. It's just going to be John Carter. Because that's going to put asses in seats. John Carter. Like, we're supposed to know who the hell that is. You know? John Carter of Mars. It's like, ah, his name's John Carter. But more importantly, this takes place on Mars. I'm thinking science fiction, fantasy, swords. You know, something good here. Nope, nope. They took that away. And then, of course, that movie died. What a bunch of idiots. When obviously the reason why Mars needs moms did not appeal to any kid whatsoever is because of the word moms. If they want to see their moms, they can just open their eyes and open the door to their room. And there she is, mom. You're not going to go to a movie to see a movie about moms. Well, it also could have bombed because it was a shitty movie too, admittedly. Lots of shitty movies make money though, but they, they're smart enough not to put mom in the title. Stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> Boom, dead. Dead at the box office. Give me a movie with the with the word "moms" in it that made money. Throw uh, mama. One that's night one, out. One, what? Mom's night out. Okay, uh, give me what? a non-porn oh, movie with the word <laughs> "mom" in it. Speaking of hey, speaking of Carter's, uh, you know who stars in used cars? Uh, former President Jimmy Carter. What did we think about his performance? Uh, any any thoughts on that? Let's try to bring it back here. Uh, <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought they fitted in really well. Actually, interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's one of his best performances. Um, but hey, uh, how about... Oh, how about this I forgot character? all about him being in the movie. I thought you just mixed up Jack Warden with Jack Carter. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Not Jack Carter. Okay. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. There you go. I don't know who he, Jack was, Carter. he was the president at one time. Wait, did I say Jack Carter? I don't no, know. No, no, no. You, you did. <laughs> no, I thought that's me. I'm the one with that issue. That's fine. Hey, yeah. how about uh, how about Deborah Harmon as uh, Barbara Fuchs? I, I 
I had never seen her in anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, she did a bunch of television. Never, uh, never really had any other big feature films. Maybe because of this movie. Uh, apparently, retired from acting and became a realtor. I think. Uh, I think she. I, th- I really like her in this movie. Uh, what do you? What do you? What do you guys think? It. Yeah, I thought she yeah, was good. So- so I, I think I, uh, I love her performance when she first shows up. I think that she is, I think there are a lot of like kind of wacky, obviously like uh, Kurt Russell is very wacky and manic and overstated. I think she does a great job of uh, having a lot of kind of comedic expressions. And mm-hmm. she kind of has, I, I love the fact that when she shows up for the first time and she, she'll kind of like, Kurt Russell will be saying something to her and she'll kind of have this like, almost naive open look on her face and then she'll like say something that is like very kind of cunning and kind of catches them off guard mm-hmm. i don't know i i love i love their i think that there's actually i don't i don't think the character is great like in terms of how it's yeah. how she's written but uh, i think she actually does a really good job of uh kind of having that that chemistry with with kurt russell yeah i i liked her i, I and and she didn't do a whole lot along with the the actor that's my favorite in this movie Garrett Graham some folks you look at me like why is this person not a, a household name but i thought i think the issue is Deborah Harmon is a good actress but she doesn't have she doesn't have that certain undefinable star quality that you see sometimes in in actors doing their early you know you see an early sissy spacek or something and you're like there's something there there, you know, she's the prettiest woman in the world. She's not the most glamorous woman in the world, but there's something about her. She's got that it quality. And I don't think she has that. That doesn't mean she's a bad actress, but I can see where she didn't. It, this wasn't a launching pad to bigger roles, but the character didn't give her a whole lot. This is the most reactive character in the whole movie with all these other characters that are, you know, dominant and doing, and her role is basically to kind of be, the normal person in all this. And, and that's not really a great role when you have all these other cartoony characters bouncing around being archetypes and everything. And you're just sort of, like you say, little naive girl next door kind of thing. I thought she did the role well. I think she was very believable. Um, you know, kind of actually just like what Bill says, a little rough when you're playing the straight man, um, you know, amongst all these people. Uh, I agree. I thought, you know, I've, I didn't realize, I didn't recognize her at first, but she was in one of those 80s family uh, sitcom shows that I'd watched as a kid. I completely didn't realize it was just her. Ten um, of us with Heather Langenkamp. Yeah. 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 It was just the ten of us. God, I forgot Heather Langenkamp was in that. Chimney Crickets. Oh, wow. You're um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought she did a good job. I thought she was very, you know, and maybe that's the problem is, is she is a good actress to the point that, you know, it was, she just, she did her job and she did it well. So she yeah. didn't really stand out significantly. Alan, so I, I saw this movie. I saw the movie in probably about 1987 or 1988. And then again, of course, a few weeks ago in 2020. And I, I you know, I don't know if it's to her credit or, or, not to the credit of the movie, but I kept thinking, like, when is the girl going to show up? When is the girl in this movie going to show up? Because when I, remembering the movie, I don't really remember the part before she got there. But I, and, and maybe it's, it's because most of the most of the action is after she got there. It's just when I watched the movie, I my, my wife was watching it with me, and I kept telling her that the you know the, a girl's going to show up and they're going to you know they're going to do this, but 
it, it just seemed like a long time before she showed up because I remembered, you know, the whole movie being about her and Kurt Russell doing this. It, it yeah. was pretty far into the film that she shows up, but, which yeah. also kind of brings up a point that, um, you know, one thing with comedies is sometimes they don't age very well. This one, I think, has aged actually really well. There, there weren't that many cringy moments of, oh, my God, that's, you know, there wasn't like a lot of homophobia. There really wasn't any, or actually wasn't any, there wasn't any um, really racist jokes that much. And, but in terms of women, she's pretty much the only female character that's not there either as a stripper or as, as just a yeah. throwaway gag while they're driving. Otherwise, there are no female characters in this, and she's not definitely strongly written. So it kind of brings up that point in terms of the, it just kind of shows up that point of uh, sometimes comedies don't age very well. But that said, this one doesn't have that many of those really cringy moments aside from being, you know, um, especially for raunchy comedies, it's funny. It's like, there's some nudity, there's some, but it's not, it's, it's not as cringy as something, say like the Revenge of the Nerds. We go, oh, look, oh, it's God, rapey. Yeah. It's not really. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's... Talk about not aging well. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, though, so, that you mentioned. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Right. So I think this one aged really well, aside from the think, fact that. Sorry, Paul, you're, you're breaking yeah. up. I was, just saying, I was just kind of re yeah, robot. beating a dead horse and saying how the female characters. I mean, she's, no, no, she's one of the main characters, yeah. and she's kind of under. That's, that seems better. Uh, Sorry. Uh, no, I, How's this? I, I blame my son for streaming. Oh yeah, stuff. definitely blame his son. Kick him out uh, of the house, jeez. <laughs> get him out of there. Uh, yeah, I, th I think uh, I think actually, Alan, one of your like your your point about having a really kind of long intro to her showing up, I think I think actually highlights one of the problems with this movie is that there are maybe too many subplots or like yes. things that they're trying to shove in because you have. So you have the scene, like obviously you kind of have the intro. Uh, it's it, the 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 first part of the film pretty quickly sets up the you know uh, Kurt Russell needs he wants the money he wants to run for the state senate. Uh, the the brother he, the, the the brother who owns the lot doesn't want the other brother to get it. Yeah, great, perfect. They said that in the, like the first five minutes, and then you get uh, uh, you know eventually you get to the finding out that the brothers you know sh she's called him. Great. And then he gets killed. Great. And then it's like I don't know another fifteen or twenty minutes before she actually shows up. And it's and the, I don't know. It's it's something that we can probably talk about uh, a little bit later. We can get kind of the the, the structure of the film. But I, I think that's interesting that you brought that up because I had the the same experience where I was like I, I remembered that scene and I was I kept waiting for it to happen. I was like there seems to be a lot of like other stuff happening before she shows up, which is kind of like the main plot of the movie. But um, yeah. No, I think I think you've nailed exactly the big. I, I enjoy this movie, but I think the biggest problem with it is that there are too many, too many things going on. They're juggling too many balls at once, and and this is maybe a holdover from 1941, which had that problem on steroids, and uh, they I guess they were thinking, yep, that, that one's going to be a big hit, and this one will be a smaller version of that, and it's just the best ones are fairly simple stories. You know, it, it, there's a simple premise, and then we we get the comedy from from that. This one just it's it's all over the place. You're not really sure where it's going. It, it doesn't it doesn't follow. I mean, I'll give it credit. It doesn't follow the simple save the cat, uh, how to write a screenplay 101 formula, and that's that's kind of good. 
but then you start realizing there's a reason why these formulas are used because they they give you a good skeleton to hang a story on and get you know and then you add your characterization which is great in this and the good lines which is great in this it has all the elements but i i think i think you really you've honed in on the problem that the story structure itself doesn't lend itself well to what they were trying to do yeah it's kind of funny too because uh very often speaking of like formulas that work i mean back to the future is often held up as one of the templates for if you want to write a successful hollywood screenplay follow this so like obviously i mean bob gale would go on to to write that and and the other back to the future movies and uh so he he obviously kind of you know, created one of the best known uh, uh, examples of that. But I think that this er- early on in his career, and, and I guess Robert Zemeckis' career, they were still kind of learning, I guess, the ropes on some of that stuff. Doesn't this sort of give you the feeling of like some of the early Brian De Palma films? You know, there was that there was that style, that 70s style young filmmakers coming in where they were kind of breaking the rules. and and sort of playing with the tropes and everything i mean now of course animal house almost seems tame in comparison but that was a that was a mind-blowing uh, change in comedy when it came out um you know but and sometimes it worked better than us i find most of brian de palma's early films the comedies at least unwatchable now phantom of the paradise is still great though uh. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, too. And again, I think we'll talk about this a little more later, too. But, like, this was from a an era when comedies were not necessary. I feel like now, if you watch it, like, if you show me a clip without sound or a, a even a shot, like a still shot from a comedy, I can tell you, yeah, that's a comedy. That That's a comedy film. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was from an era when the... You know, people people were making comedies not necessarily as like, oh, we're going to shoot this as a comedy. This is it, it, they were sh- basically making films that were that had the same production values. And like, I think this is a very well made film. I think it's well shot, mm-hmm. well edited. We'll, we'll talk about you know the guy who edited this movie went on to edit all of Steven Spielberg's movies pretty much. Oh. So, oh, uh, that's, and, that's a good yeah, pitch. so so there's there's a lot of good talent behind this. Um, but I, I think that's an interesting point that. Yeah, it's it's not done as even though this was obviously a film that the studio uh, had uh, you know put money into because they expected it to do well. It doesn't feel like nowadays a what you expect from a kind of studio comedy, right? Um, so yeah, so uh, you you mentioned uh, another actor. I think it's it's a it's a good time to talk about uh, probably one of the characters that has the that I think works the best in terms of. Uh, so even though we kind of jump from plot to plot and there's, it's, there's not that tightness that we, that I think, you know, Bob Gale would go on to, to exhibit in, in future films. But one of the characters that I think works best because they kind of establish some of his quirks and they keep coming back and being relevant to the plot, uh, uh, Garrett Graham as Jeff, who I I think is absolutely hilarious in this movie. The, The one thing I remember, pieces from this of this movie from when i watched it you know like 20 25 years ago um but the one thing i always remembered is when they're filming the commercial uh when he's dressed up as a cowboy and he's just like you know these prices are too high but 24 2400 too fucking high 
Um, I, I watched into this movie, and uh, I, I actually disagree with you, Bill. Anyone who's seen Child's Play 2 knows that he is a household name. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what, what he, he was he also play? he was also in uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose too. He was the like the principal. Yeah. No, he was the well, principal was one of the teachers. Parker <laughs> Lewis Can't Lose. Bueller knockoff. That's like oh my god. And it did much better than the Ferris Bueller TV show. There you oh, go. Yeah. And Gary, it gave us poor Nemec. So, so there. Yeah. Derek Graham has been in tons of stuff, but but most importantly, he's been he was in Chopping Mall, he was in Chud Two, Bud the Chud, and he was in Child's Play Two. So, uh, I think he, he obviously had a very uh, a no very no. Listen, career. I would shake this man's hand and get his autograph because he because he played Beef and Phantom of the Paradise, and he was great. But I just say this guy had range. He he was good looking. He could play a leading man. I don't know why Hollywood didn't take advantage of what I thought. I think they had a real. I mean, Kurt Russell's got star quality all written all over. You see that boom as soon as he looks at you. Bye, you got it. And, but Garrett Graham, I think, had it too, and and arguably a better actor. It's it's you know, but Hollywood's weird. You know, you some people with absolutely no talent whatsoever get lucky and get a franchise going. And then some people with a whole lot of talent are making fucking Chud 2. Are you kidding me? Chud 2? Uh, apparently, now, I've never seen it, oh. but no. Uh, oh, Bud, my God. Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Apparently, he played yeah. the titular role of Bud the Chud. So, and he, he, was also in, he was also in Philadelphia Experiment 2 and My Girl 2. So, apparently, he's just really successful at starring in uh, well, second season. He's been, he's been in a couple of things where he was uncredited, too. Like, I, I looked him up, and he's... He was in an episode of Seinfeld as an uncredited clown, which <laughs> is sort of a weird, you know, thing to show up. And apparently, he also did a voice uncredited for the Little Mermaid. I don't know I'll which. He, one. he was a voice in the critic. Oh yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. yeah, but I'll bet he wishes uh, his role in Philadelphia Experiment Two was uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, he was a bit of a pain in the butt to work with because. Um, I was I was listening to the the commentary track which had Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. Oh, really? And oh. Kurt Russell, yeah. And they said oh. there's a, there's one scene when um when they're uh, they had just finished uh, burying burying uh, Jack Warden and Jack Warden comes over <laughs> and and is talking to him and asking where his brother went and uh, Garrett Graham didn't have any lines for that scene but Garrett Graham insisted to have lines so Robert Zemeckis said well just just repeat everything Kurt Russell says. And Kurt Russell was getting pissed off, and Jack Warden got pissed off. And Jack Warden actually said, out of character, he said, "What are you, a fucking parrot?" And they loved that so much they left it in the movie. <laughs> oh, that's so, great because anyway. that scene, scene is wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's apparently that was just because he was being. Yeah, he was right though. It was a good line. Oh, yeah. Well. No, and I think the the great thing about like I was mentioning, like the great thing about this character, there are some uh, through lines that definitely work. And, you know, that the whole thing about his character is that he's superstitious. Uh, he, he won't uh, he won't get into a red car. Uh, but I, I love the scene where like that pays that pays off later at the end, obviously, when he has the whole, you know, the, the car that was uh, painted blue, but it's actually red and he realizes it. And but he finally overcomes his fear. But I think the actual mm -hmm. like my favorite part with him is when they're in the uh, the bar and Kurt Russell is, I guess he put all of his money on the, on the one team to win yeah. and they're losing. And he starts like, you know, uh, the, the, the mechanic just kind of nods at him and then 
he just like starts pouring out salt and like he tries to crawl under a ladder. And I don't know, it's kind of a surreal scene because like then that. actually yeah. the team starts losing and, and you know Kurt Russell wins. And I don't know, I think that's actually uh, one of the one of the best written kind of like bringing the quirks of the character full circle. Yeah. Hey, I've got some notes written down here. It says here, uh, do we have a natural gas leak in my house, or did I just see Lenny and Squiggy show up in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, uh, do, wow. do you want to move on to? Well, I uh, just, no, well, I, I know if any, if that means anything to anybody at all, but see, there was a show called, oh, can uh, it not? Yes. Yeah. You know, Laverne and Shirley. I was going to say Mork and Mindy. <laughs> so, Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> there was also a show called Mork and Mindy though. Yeah, there was, there was, which was they were both from Happy movies. Days, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Strangely enough. And, uh, these two guys who. You know, every every show, they have their cast, and then they have these characters that were supposed to be kind of like one-offs, and then the, the audience just cheers every time they show off, and it was Lenny and Squiggy, these two creepy guys who lived in the basement and would show up, and as soon as they walked in the door, hello! And and so uh, David Lander was, uh, I think, Squiggy. Squiggy. He was Squiggy. Yeah. So I always figured that was like he was putting on a, a gag or something. He didn't really talk that way, but he pretty much talks the same way in this movie. So maybe that's that's how he talks. He made it work for him. Yeah. So so the other obviously the other actor that you're talking about is one of my favorites. Even though he's not in here for a whole lot, I yeah. absolutely adore everything he does. Uh, Michael McKean, who he's is great. <laughs> the, the 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 technician who who uh, the yeah the other guy puts the pacemaker in. Um, I, I, you know, I, I feel like I could probably talk about Michael McKean for about half an hour here. I won't. Has he ever uh, been bad in anything? I don't never. Think so. so, so <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he, he, I mean, obviously he was in Spinal Tap. He was in A Mighty Wind. He's been in just tons and tons of stuff. Um, he was in Clue. Uh, he was also, I've, I've recently been rewatching, uh, the entire series of the X-Files and he's one of my favorite kind of two-parters where he switches bodies with Mulder. And it's it's he's just he's just so amazing. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about him in this movie because he's only there for a few scenes. Right. But I he's one of those actors I think I always just can't help but laughing when he shows up. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I was, oh, I was, go ahead, Renee. Were you saying something? Just definitely. That's it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> oh, no, he was. You also saw him in uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles as uh, probably the uh, most serious character that he has ever played. You know, he's, hmm. he's the cop that pulls John Candy over. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Huh. Well, and they work as a good team in this. It's it's a um, it's yeah. a fun kind of little duo that that plays it fairly straight for the weirdness that they are in terms of the 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 hacking into the the president's uh, address and the uh, hacking into the football program and and again the, like you said as you mentioned the whole part about. Yeah, if I could build, if I could build and install a pacemaker in this man's body, twelve ninety five list, and they just, they just, it's just like played completely straight, and like nobody like questions it. They're just kind of like, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's a, it's a fun little, little gag, and I, I think at that point they were fairly well known for Lenny and Squiggy already, weren't they? In terms of this was, in, I'm thinking they when had was, uh, yeah. I feel like that was a 70s I mean, thing this was but, like yeah, yeah i think wasn't Laverne and shirley like late 70s uh 77 yeah. something like that yeah. uh, so anyway so yeah i think it was almost like a, a cameo for them but uh i yeah, feel the same way 
when I see Joe Flaherty show up because Joe Flaherty was one of the SCTV people, and I oh, yeah. I loved SCTV. Well, yeah. So let's let's talk about Joe Flaherty again. Doesn't have a huge role in this movie. I again like whenever he shows up in anything, I just love him. I actually <laughs> knew him. So SCTV was a little before my time, but I know him. Uh, or I originally saw him on one of my favorite TV shows of all time, which only lasted a single season, but he was the dad on Freaks and Geeks. Oh, oh okay. Oh, that's right. And that's where I always remember him from. Uh, I, I love him in this movie. He, yeah, he doesn't have a huge role, but he's, I think he's, and he's kind of, you know, plays it straight the whole time. But he's hes one of those other actors that I just, every time I see him, yeah. I just, you know, I, I just can't help but light up. Oh, he kind of really shines in the courtroom scene in this too. I think that's his, yeah. his 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 moment of glory. What's interesting is it was originally supposed to be John Candy, but John oh. Candy's uh, John Candy's um, agent double booked him. So yeah, although he he double booked him with I guess what was it 1941, uh, right? So oh, he was, he was yeah, <laughs> he chose poorly. Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's actually interesting too because so or I had originally we were going to record this episode a while ago, and after I watched the movie, I went on a Zemeckis kick and I went and rewatched the uh, uh, Back to the Future trilogy for the first time in probably like twenty years. Uh, and actually, I, I forgot to mention, but there are a couple of interesting cameos. If it, it, it's a kind of a blink and you missed it, but Deborah Harmon is actually in the very first scene when Marty is in the lab and you see on the on the TV there's a, a newscaster talking about this the stolen plutonium and that is actually Deborah Harmon. Oh, oh wow. wow cool. I don't think she's actually credited. I wouldn't have recognized her if I hadn't just watched uh, used cars. But then Joe Flaherty, pivotal role in Back to the Future 2 for the the cliffhanger, he's the one who delivers the telegram from Doc in eighteen eighty five. Wow. Yeah. So, so a couple of, a couple of actors, there are actually a few others that I'll mention that again, like I went, I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I never realized that those people were in here. Um, right. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, Zemeckis, he's not quite like certain directors that use the same actors over and over and over, but they're definitely, you definitely see this, the same people pop up in his stuff occasionally. Yeah. Well, he has, then he has a good sense of, of picking maybe someone a little unexpected who works like, I don't know if I were looking for a judge, it wouldn't even occur to me to think of Al Lewis. Al Lewis, Grandpa Monster, yeah, yeah. Al Lewis was perfect. He, you know, he's so stereotyped as as Grandpa, and and all his appearance. He was very popular on the Howard Stern show around this time, and it was a real character off the screen. But he's great in this. He underplays it, which is not the thing you'd think of for Al Lewis. You'd expect he'd be chewing up the scenery left and right. He's fine in the role. He's actually really good, and and it gives you a, when he when he comes on. Of course, you know it's Grandpa Monster, but he's playing a completely different character. He's not camping it up, and there's there's an interesting thing sometimes when when characters do get when actors do get typecast, but you cast them anyway, and it works. We were aware it's it's Grandpa Monster, but seeing him play a judge, I don't know. It gives you a warm feeling. A feeling. I'm oh, I'm glad to see the old guy still got work. You know. He's, the he's warm funny. feeling with the little uh, mini guillotine and and such on his uh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, actually, it's funny you mentioned that I, I I have I mean I have never seen 
uh, I don't think uh, an episode of the Munsters because again, I tore my oh. time. Yeah, I know, I know. But here's no. the thing: when Al Lewis oh. showed up, when Al Lewis showed up, I was like, oh, oh, it's uh, you know, it's Grandpa from the Munsters. So I've never seen a single episode, and I still know. Before you, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever seen a full episode all the way through, but I know all the characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is not a living soul on planet Earth who can't say King Kong was before my time. But you gotta watch the damn movie. Fair enough. Says yeah. the man who hadn't seen used cars before. Oh yeah, <laughs> got him. Right. <laughs> got him. The only, the only one that, like, when you see Al yeah. Lewis in color, yeah. you barely recognize him. You have to like. Well, no, I went. Just, I see, just no, I went to go see the Munsters movie, which was in color. So I, I, I got to see all of them. I, I don't, it's like I always see him black and white. Everything I see him in is black and white. Maybe because it's always on the Munsters. But um, maybe it's because yeah, you have a black and white TV set. We, we didn't we didn't get a color tv set till i was 13 so everything was a black oh, and white wow. to me <laughs> yeah the angry yeah, red planet always, it was a black and white i had no idea it's always weird when i see him in color because I, I just you know when i think about him i think about him in black and white hmm. <laughs> when i dream about al lewis you often dream white. about al lewis <laughs> <laughs> it's always in black and white every night uh, if i have a dream about al lewis i will let you know yeah. if it's black and white or color Sometimes Joe, sometimes Joey Bishop is there watching. Oh God! Uh -huh. <laughs> and suddenly uh -oh. it's an episode of the Gilbert Gottfried show. <laughs> oh, man, well, hey, moving on. If we have nothing else to say about, Al let's get away from that. No, yeah. uh, so here's, so so there's another. Uh, before we get to kind of the two big ones, uh, there there's one other actor I wanted to mention, and this is actually kind of probably one of the things I think I can fault this movie for. Uh, even though it's kind of a product of the time, but I love him in this movie, but uh, Frank McRae as Jim the Mechanic. Now, I love him as an actor. I think he's amazing. I think he's pretty funny in this movie. I think one of the only things that really gave me pause when I went and rewatched this, because I definitely, like, none of this occurred to me when I was watching this when I was, like, whatever, 15 or 16. Um, but I think one of the problematic things watching this movie now is the fact that there are very few characters in this movie who aren't white and pretty much all of them are kind of played as or written as like racial caricatures. So I don't know that that was the one thing I kind of wanted to mention. Like, like I know, like, and it's definitely not like, I don't think it's badly intentioned. I definitely, obviously like Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis, I don't, you know, I don't look back and say like, Oh man, they, they obviously were just trying to be, you know, overtly racist, but I think it's more the product of the times and, the people making the movie probably obviously weren't thinking about those time, those things 40 years ago. Um, yeah. And let, let's keep something in mind. Back to, oh. And I was going to say, you know, you know, times have changed and we're, we're so much more progressive. And, and now, and nowadays, you know, a great actor like him can look forward to his next project, 2021's The 500 <laughs> Foot Sister. I want to go back to this because this is something I'd kind of mentioned before, which is yeah. that a lot of comedies don't age very well. I still think this one did. There's a few racial things. Actually, I didn't think that his character was really played that much like a racial stereotype. I took it more as he was this, the laid back mechanic. In fact, there yeah. weren't that many things where I, I didn't think they were doing like, you know, a uh, step and fetch it kind of role or anything no, like that no, with him. Or, oh yeah, and there was, not. If I know, I, I think he might have been a little underwritten, but I, yeah. I felt like that character wasn't written as, oh, here's you know, we're gonna write him as a black guy, and we're gonna the, have only, him be the only part that kind of stands out in my head is you know, 
you could arguably, if you want to argue, as we all do, as offensive is that, you know, he kind of played the threatening black man trying to get people to buy cars and stuff. But that that's kind of in keeping with the rest of the movie. I mean, everybody was using what they got on the grand scale of things. That doesn't just measure just up high to prices. killing a dog, you know, I mean, there are a few little things here and there, like the, 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 the teenage kids that were driving there. There's like yeah, one that, group that of the other kids. And, yeah. and at one, and, and there's the like one the scene, there's one scene early on where Kurt Russell keeps changing his last name and the way he's talking, depending upon the ethnicity that no, people no, that with. But that kind of that kind of ties funny. to the fact that that character is kind of a jerk. Yes. Right. But yes. what I'm saying is, overall, there really weren't that many moments of it. I mean, you go back and watch almost any other movie from like the '80s or something, or oh my god, don't go back. If like if if you have <laughs> if you have access, to the you're dying. National magazine. Somebody like read DVD Paul. With all of <laughs> Don't read them. They are they're, what? Am I a robot? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Missed it all. Beep pop boop pop. Beep boop boop. How's this? Is am I better? Yes. Am I am I coming? What was it you're crashing? All right. Better. That's okay. I was just ranting. I was saying you start giving a long list of things, yeah, it, 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 it sort of it, cuts it you off. Then I'll <laughs> talk. You know, it's like it's like watching a Charlie Chan movie and like just when he gets to and the killer had to be beep bop boop bop and like <laughs> ah. What was your point? What was the thing we need to avoid? I was just saying, <laughs> we will never you know. Whatever you do, don't go to National Lamp. I'm breaking up again, aren't I? Where did Charlie that, Brown that cartoon all of a sudden? That was the idea. Oh, I, I think the old National Lampoons are some of the funniest damn things on earth. Are no, they, they're are terrible. They... Oh my God. Yes. Terribly funny. Me, I mean, I was like reading. I give Those up. Those things were meant to be offensive when they were when they were uh, written. I mean, that, that there was no, this is not something that's aged poorly. It is exactly and precisely what it was when they published it. They but were, it's they were not going for that. Funny. That's what I'm well, saying. I've gone back and read them, and I was like, like John Hughes was like, oh my god, this was just there was there's it's. Yeah. O.C. and Stiggs is one of the funniest things ever written and made one of the worst movies ever made. But <laughs> I, I think they're hysterically funny. But you, you know, have to be read on the understanding that this is not something, this is not approved. I, I wouldn't read it out loud to a class of uh, high schoolers. Um, but, I mean, in terms of just comedy structure, yeah, they're funny. I mean, Animal Houses. Animal Houses is the most offensive damn thing ever made. Still, funny. I'm not talking about the movie. I mean, the the... The, just the magazine, but yeah. I, I okay, yeah. We I agree to disagree on this. I agree to disagree. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I, and I realize how uh, maybe a little bit ironic it is to have you know five five white folks talking about uh, the eh. sensitivity of this film. But hey, back to my point. Uh, Frank Frank McRae, I, I think he's a great actor. I think he's great in this movie. Uh, I, I love he's been in a ton of stuff. I love him. I think that the other thing that I, I knew him from was the, the chief in Last Action Hero. And I actually didn't realize that that was him until I went back and watched this uh, or that it was the same person. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, any anything else about any of those folks before we go and and into I think the, the two kind of, I guess, main characters. Uh, I, I know we've, we've mentioned him a lot, but uh, Jack Warden. Actually, I was going to. Oh, sorry. Said go ahead. Any more things, and then you you didn't give a. Oh, <laughs> actually, we were talking about a, a ethnic. Stereotype. We were talking 
Tell tell your son I, to I go need to hook up. like three sixty. Yeah. I'm Don't I'm gonna have to find another room to plug this in. Unfortunately, where where I normally would well, it's a long story. Anyway. <laughs> um Frank McCray? We're talking about <laughs> oh, uh, my. Wait, <laughs> Wow. Stereotypes so, and oh, man, Paul tries to get well, his thought out. The guy who yeah. sells them the cars and wants to sell them the guns oh, and all this. He, just a side note. Am I back? Yeah, yeah gone. Right, sure. All right. Spe- <laughs> Speaking of racial stereotypes, Manuel, the guy who sells them the the cars uh, and wants yeah. the guns. Yeah. Well, no, that yeah. was the he, other. Yeah, that was the other guy I mentioned. Yeah, he's. He, <laughs> Go ahead. He's he's actually he ends, uh, goes on to be a a fairly well-respected director. He directed Like Water for Chocolate. And yeah. uh, there's a couple other movies that I was like, wow, okay, it was kind of neat. Oh. So it was like, just kind of funny that... So he directed he a bunch of movies that, that we will never, Manuel. ever cover on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, we could we could do a Like Water for Chocolate uh, episode. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, moving right along here. How about Jack Warden? <laughs> how about that Jack Warden? <laughs> Someone save us. Renee, what do you think about Jack Gordon's performance in the <laughs> film? Jack Gordon did, uh, he did an outstanding job playing himself and his brother. That's one of my, one of the things I miss in movies today is that mm. you don't get that kind of lame doppelganger character. Like, oh, it's like, you know, it's obviously the same guy, but this one has glasses on. Or like we put a fake mustache on this guy and <laughs> they're suddenly a different person. That I really she's obviously that. not seen any of the movies that we make where <laughs> you know same All guy plays like general. Yeah, think about it. I I like that part. Um, and I I my uh, appreciation of Jack Warden is from the Twilight Zone. <laughs> ah. yeah. So that's that's I know he's been in a lot of things, um, but that's that's where my mind goes every time I think of Jack Warden. Yeah, I mean he's been in a ton of classic films that uh, I don't think I've actually seen. He was in 12 Angry Men, All the President's Men, being there from here to eternity. He, he, he mm-hmm. I, you know, he'd been acting for obviously, uh, you know, decades. Uh, I, I do think my favorite thing about his role or his roles though, is he does play them very differently. And I honestly, I don't think I realized when I went, when I watched this film like back in the day i don't think i actually realized that he played both roles Which, <laughs> oh wow I mean, yeah i mean this was back when I, I, was... I was gonna bring that up because i had i had to show trisha i had to show her the credit in imdb for her to believe that it was the same actor oh that's impressive no. that's impressive yeah, she would not buy it she's like no that is a different person i'm like no i said it's it's funny it's the same guy they're brothers you never see him you know it i had to show her the credit well, because he was good in both roles. I mean, he you know he was a sweet, kindly old man, and he was uh, an absolute horse's ass son of a bitch, you know. And and he he sold both characters pretty well. So yeah, you know, he's one of those guys. You know, it's interesting if you look at his career. He had those great movies early on, and then like the '60s hit, and the movies changed, and they're not you know you fall out of favor. But you you just make every dang TV show there is. He's uh, there was it was there any show that he was not on at least an episode or so, and 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 then you hit an age where now you're old enough that you're you're never going to be cast as a leading man again, but you know there's a lot of good story a lot of good role for old 
cranky guys who seem familiar and know their acting chops and he's working again up until you know up till the end i guess so yeah he, he had a great career yeah I, I think he had obviously like his he's kind of chewing the scenery so to speak as the one brother but i think i think he actually like his his role as the the, the brother that owns uh, you know the, the the lot that Kurt Russell's on. I I cannot remember the names, <laughs> which one is which. But I think that some of his scenes were actually some of the best in the movies and some of the best acted in the movies. Like the scene mm-hmm. where the mechanic is basically going to try to come and kill him, but he's just gotten the call from his his daughter, and he comes out and he's just like ignoring everything the mechanic is saying and and just I don't know musing to himself. I think I think that was actually really well played. I thought it was like really mm-hmm. touching. There's not a lot of like really touching scenes in this movie because there's it's mostly a madcap comedy but uh i i really actually like that scene and uh yeah, yeah i think he's a great actor the, the, the sad he thing he should have played the daughter too oh <laughs> it was a the whole family. that's yeah. awesome that's what that's what eddie murphy would do yeah it's, the sad thing is I, I i'll bet anything that he made more money from the residual checks from Problem Child, he was in the Problem Child movie, <laughs> and he did from From Here to Eternity or any of these others. I mean, that's that's you know that was probably the the best thing for him to get caught in this horrible series, these awful movies. But hey, we're gonna make another one, okay? Well, uh, anyone else have any thoughts about Jack Warden? Okay, um, can you actually hear me now? Oh yeah. Wow. Well, I, because I I I pulled it across pulled the computer across to another room yeah, and actually great. plugged in wired though i'm hey. sitting on the floor <laughs> okay oh. you're you're just i i your discomfort is irrelevant to me as long as we can hear you so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway how can you guys talk about jack warden without talking about having the absolute best death scene in it, it, well he had two death scenes in this movie but the yeah. best death scene ever with the best line ever is um in the in this film with for him i mean just to set it up for people who haven't seen it then if you haven't seen it what the hell are you listening to this <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. really? when, when he's sitting there and that he's you know he's got a heart conditions when he's playing the, the good brother and the uh the, the 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 he's being driven around by a lunatic from from his brother's uh mm-hmm. um his his brother's uh dealership trying to basically tries to give him a heart attack and basically does. Um, so he's, he's sitting there having a heart attack in this car after they completely trash it. And meanwhile, Kurt Russell, he switched to Kurt Russell, who's trying to sell a car to a guy and the guy and the guy's haggling with the price. And he's like, the guy's like, look, 50 bucks never killed anybody. And Kurt Russell's <laughs> like, no, he's like, come on. He keeps saying 50 bucks will never kill anybody. And Kurt Russell's like, fine. I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll show these numbers. To my managers begin to have a stroke and he walks out and all of a sudden, you know, um, Jack Warden comes in foaming at the mouth, has a heart attack and is dying. And the guy's like, oh, my God, no, here, here. But th- what's great is if you watch that scene here, his character still is dying on the floor. Kurt Russell's patting him on the chest. The guy pulls his money out and and, yeah, and Jack Warden hand. still grabs the money. That's true. Yeah, that that is one of my favorite gags in the entire film because of the way that they set it up. So, yeah. Good call. Glad you glad you could join us. Back. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I was. Uh... <laughs> no, no, no worries. Uh, through the magical, uh, the magic of editing, no one will. We're gonna cut you completely out of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. up until or, this or you'll time. just edit this so I keep sound like, yeah. that, like that. Anyway, that would be funny if you like edit it so that his words are always coming out backwards, and the rest of us are just <laughs> yeah. like understanding it somehow. Like yes, uh... all good point. 
Well, hey, you know, TV shows that Jack Warden appeared on, you know, uh, one show that he guest starred on was The Fugitive. And uh, you know what other actor guest starred on The Fugitive? Uh, I believe twice, actually. Uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So uh, that's, yeah, that's that's what we call a segue in the in the industry. Uh, so oh. I think we've, I think we've covered this movie. movie. Yeah, what's that? Kurt Russell was in this movie? Yeah, it's, it's a cameo. You blink and you miss it. <laughs> No, so so yeah, there there are a few other cameos, but I think we'll actually yeah, yeah let's let's go over the cameos real quick, and then we can talk about Kurt Russell for like uh, an hour. So the guy in the bed, and I didn't, I knew he looked familiar, but I had Dick to go. Miller, look. Dick Miller, the guy who's having sex in the bed when the commercials on. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I had to go look it up. That Dick was, Miller. you know, I saw yeah. Dick Miller was in this. I'm I was racking my brain. At, yeah. That's a well. God bless him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and anyone who's who's listening, and Dick Miller has been in like a billion things, but I will yeah. always remember him. I think his favorite scene for me is always the uh, the gun salesman in uh, the Terminator. Yeah, but yeah, so I, I love that. Again, I think he was in uh, 1941. So I oh, think who, yeah, was, well, of course he was. Well, yeah, but I think that was another. There were there were actually a ton of people uh, in this movie who were in there for a minute, but were also yeah. in 1941. So Dick, and, Dick uh, Miller was kind of like a good luck charm for a lot of filmmakers. You know, oh, of course, sometimes like in 1941, it didn't work, but you can only do so much. But yeah, he'll show up in these little roles because he was first of all, he was just a great guy and and a familiar face, and you were gonna wasn't gonna show up drunk or anything. Yeah, Dick Miller is one of the greatest character actors ever. Yeah, and so and he's sorry he's not with us. Yeah, yeah, he. I actually, for some reason, I didn't realize that he had just died like last year. But yeah, he, he's he's been in he's in Gremlins, The Howling. Uh, but yeah, one other, actually, two other cameos that again, I would not have noticed these if it wasn't for watching them in such such close proximity. But the the girl at the end, where she's in the car with the the instructor, mm. Wendy Joe Sperber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, Wendy Joseph Herbert yeah. and, and and the guy, one of the kids, the other kids, the the guy who's who's uh, driving one of the cars. It's actually the car that Kurt Russell falls into during the whole chase scene. Uh, Mark McClure. So both uh, Marty McFly's siblings in back. Oh my movie. god! Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. Well, I, I knew about Wendy Joe Sperber. I didn't know the other guy. Oh, that's, yep, that's cool. Yep. And apparently, yeah, I, I didn't realize uh, Mark McClure actually, because uh, I went and looked him up. He had also, I guess it's kind of weird that he has a small cameo in this because uh, he had also been in Superman two years before as Jimmy Olsen. And he actually played, he played him in the, the sequel as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he. I don't think he had like a huge career, but uh, after this or after Back to the Future, but yeah, I, I love the fact that they show up. Uh, they show up in this, and then yeah, in Back to the Future. But hey, uh, Kurt Russell, what what do, I love him, hate him? What do we oh. think? <laughs> Is there someone who hates Kurt Russell? I was just gonna say who hates Kurt Russell. I, I have a lot of things to say about Kurt Russell. Uh, the mm-hmm. first, uh, a lot of things about him as an actor, his career. Um, the the one thing I want to ask at the top. And because this is like one of those random things I, uh, one of those random thoughts I had when I was watching this, when he goes into his like salesman spiel and he's like talking really fast, he's like, hey, gotta go, twenty four hundred dollars, come on, it's good, it's good, it's good for the kids, good for the family, you, you know that whole thing when he mm-hmm. kind of goes into that fast talking spiel. Is it me, or is he not channeling Dan Aykroyd in this movie? I I think it's you. It's me. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I'm going to go with it's you. 
Yeah. No, it could be, but man, I could I, I could see that, but I I, 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 I never really picked that up. But I, I I could see you saying that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and maybe I was just making the connection because of of Dan Aykroyd's kind of has connections to uh, to Steven Spielberg, obviously. But uh, yeah, hey, Kurt Russell. Here's my question: Why? I mean, Kurt Russell had a pretty big career. He he actually did a number of comedies, but I think none of them really did that well. He did a number of action films, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Excuse well, me, the computer wore tennis shoes. Tennis shoes. I was just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with the, you? What was the one about the the TV executive with the chimp? There was that one. There was. Uh, yeah, exactly. Several with Dexter Riley. Was it Dexter Riley? So yeah. What are you well, talking well, about? Boy? Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, you're, I, I'm talking about as uh, when he got into his adult years. Obviously, oh. Russell oh. had been. I mean, he'd been acting since he was, you know, I think like, Jungle Boy, twelve. Uh, he, he had been, I mean, he'd been acting since the sixties, but I feel like, so, so here's the thing though. Here's my point. Uh, all <laughs> of us consider Kurt Russell, like an icon. You know, if you talk, if you mention his name, we think of, you know, uh, the thing of obviously yeah. like Carpenter movies, I you know, New York. I see it from New York. I also think of like Stargate. Big I, Trouble I, in Little China. Yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. But I feel like if you go back and actually look at, and I think that he's, you know, he's still considered a star obviously and you know obviously he you know he's married to goldie hahn he, he was he was a hollywood actor but i feel like if you go back and look it, it seems like because i was kind of like looking back at just like numbers wise because we were talking about how this film did financially and i went back and was kind of looking at like okay well you know over his career and i he didn't have a lot of bombs but he also didn't have a lot of like huge massive hits like in the yeah. 80s you know uh, Stallone had Rocky and Rambo. Obviously, uh, Schwarzenegger had The Terminator. You know, you had uh, Bruce Willis had Die Hard. But it feels like Kurt Russell, and, I, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's why Kurt Russell never really had that massive mainstream breakout hit that really made him like one of the top action heroes of the 80s, which, which again, like the, like the people on this and listening to this probably are like what like of course he's a, he's one of the top action heroes um but i don't know uh if if you look at his numbers i feel like i don't know he he feels like he he never reached his full potential just commercially am i crazy uh no well well okay here I'll, also, let me just also keep keep in mind the, the his career may have also been completely different if he had he had actually gotten the role in in star wars as han solo so that's that's another thing like is that yeah have been, see uh, i he would have been a great han solo i'm not sorry that harrison ford got it but i can totally see him pulling off this his i mean you're right it, some of his best movies the thing was a bomb big trouble in little china was a bomb he's not an actor who can open a movie all right he's not an actor where people are like oh my god it's a kurt russell movie we got to go but he is an actor where, oh, wow, Kurt Russell's in this. There's a difference. When people like him without necessarily being the kind, you know, there, there's actors that people like and they can star in movies and they make the movie better. And there's actors where Tom Cruise has a movie, I'm there. You know, they'll, they'll go see it and maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, maybe it'll do but But he, him just making a movie is, is a big enough deal that, you know, that's, that's a superstar. Uh, Kurt Russell's not a superstar, but he's he's a fun actor. He's aged well, and and you know it's it's. I'll just say this: uh, the, one of the first movies I remember seeing in a theater 
probably had a drive in was the computer wore tennis shoes. One of the greatest experiences of my life was watching the thing on opening night. And quite frankly, if I died the day after watching bone Tomahawk, I think that would be a pretty good arc. <laughs> no, yeah, I think, I think a point you, one of the point you kind of make is that he's one of those few actors who transitioned, not just from child star to teen, but child to teen to adult to older and to, he's, he, he yeah yeah and i mean it might not have like it, you might not be able to draw like this this high line all the way through like but he he's had he's had not just a second act but a third mm -hmm. and a fourth act in terms of his career and he's well respected and i mean so yeah he, and it, he's gone from being you know playing jungle boy on on right. Gilligan's island to to playing <laughs> you know, Dexter Riley for Disney to, to Charles Whitman in the deadly tower to Elvis yeah. to snake Pliskin to, you know, you know, so yeah, he's, he's iconic now. He's, he's iconic. If you were going to make um, death proof and you need an actor to play stuntman Mike, if not Kurt Russell, who exactly would you have cast? Right. I think it is interesting. He has had kind of a resurgence in the last like 10 or 15 years. As much as I dislike him, as a director, uh, I, I think that Quentin Tarantino is probably to credit for some of that because obviously he put him in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, for, for a second, I thought you meant how much you disliked Kurt Russell. The director. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, what a man. Did he just direct right. well, debut? I was just going to ask the same thing. Did he do Captain Ron? I was like, I was like, <laughs> oh. no, but know, what are your thoughts on Kurt Russell, Renee? Oh, you know, what's there to say about Kurt Russell? <laughs> <laughs> that you guys haven't already said no but really i mean you know i aside from all of his his body of work i just appreciate him as a human being mm. um having stepped into the relationship with goldie hawn and and taking on uh her kids and the way that um kate um hudson refers to him really yeah. as her father i think it just you know it just goes to show that he's probably just a good dude um which is you know difficult to find in a lot of ways especially in hollywood so oh, yeah. yeah good good guy good actor yeah, yeah. I'm, i was happy to see him show up in uh like say the guardians of the galaxies trailers i never oh, saw yeah. the movie but i was happy oh, to see what? him. <laughs> it's all good it's really good and he he actually does a good job with one of marvel's lamest villains <laughs> yeah ego is nobody's favorite villain but he, also, he does a great job of it's also a good throwback if you are a fan of Kurt Russell's like entire body of work because it it they do the uh I guess the flashback to the eighties and they kind of DH yeah. him. It does oh. actually we we finally reached the point where that technology can actually de-age someone and it's not uncanny valley. It does feel like you're almost watching a, a lost young Kurt Russell film. Um mm. Yeah, so, so what do we think about him in used cars? Like I said, he's obviously done comedy. He's done action. Uh, I think he's probably best known as kind of an action actor or a dramatic actor. But I think that he is possibly underrated as a comedic actor. And I think that he actually has, I don't want to say range in this movie, but I think that he plays, you know, mm -hmm. almost the the Han Solo-esque, he's kind of a scumbag, but he's also, like, not to the point where he's reprehensible, he's kind of lovable. Obviously, mm. you know, you know, in the end, he's going to save the day, and he's going to sure. kind of come come through, but uh, 
I don't know. What do, what do you guys think of like Kurt Russell, the comedian? I thought it was good. I, you know, I think he was funny. I think he carried it off really well. And, you know, especially with, oh, it drove me crazy. You know, that her father died and he's not telling her that her father mm-hmm. had died. And in real life, that's awful. It's, it's reprehensible. Um, but he, you know, he, he kind of managed to get away with it and you really didn't hate him. Um, so, yeah. You know, and I, but you know, and he had those moments where you could cut, you know, you felt like he had that wearing on him a little bit. You could see it in his face. Mm-hmm, so I think he mm-hmm. did a pretty good job going both the sides of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, if there's one subplot, I, I, I guess it was integral to the film, but it was also that whole subplot was a, a, a little stretched a little thin because you have like all the scenes where he's trying to like, uh, A, stop her from finding out about her dad. And then also trying to stop her from finding out about the commercial that they're shooting. And it was, was, I don't know. I felt like, uh, you know, talking about the, the structure of the film, it was a little repetitious, but um, I I still feel like he had pretty good chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he took a character that could have just been so slimy and so terrible Mm -hmm. and that you just hate him. And instead you know, it's like you said, it's the lovable rogue, but he, he's he's he is a scumbag, except for, like you said, like, Renee, you pointed out when when he's having that kind of pangs of consciousness with with uh, with a uh, um, uh, Deborah. Yeah. Character. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like I think her character's so underread and I had to lag like what's her name? <laughs> Bar- <laughs> she's a fuchs, but that's all I remember. Yeah. And, but yeah, I mean, so and he shows, you know, and at the end, he he gives up his well i think he just temporarily gives up his dream of being in politics to you know to go off and help save her and his uh, dream of being like an openly scumbag politician i i think he i think he saved this movie because he is the he is an unlikable character from the minute we see him turning back the dial selling people who need cars to get to work so they can earn bread for their family selling them cars that are clearly going to break down within days dad's going to lose his job daughter's going to turn to prostitution all kinds of bad things are going to happen because of this awful awful guy and his great ambition in life is to become an (laughs) awful politician and and take money and not perform anything and basically be like the real politicians we have you know But no, but you know, I mean, listen, if a guy ran on that, actually, if, you know, if someone ran on that, I'd probably vote for them because it'd be so refreshing to actually see someone come out and just say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have my hands in your pocket. No doubt about it. But I'll occasionally get the potholes fixed. You know, OK, yeah, man, you're honest. Um, you know, he's awful. He's an awful person. And yet he's Kurt Russell. So you're like, oh, but, you know, he says it with a grin and he's he's got a heart of gold somewhere deep inside that not, you know, not much though too is the the brother is worse than him so yeah it's yeah, yeah. Like you're, you're picking the 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 least evil one to like more well another thing is that uh, um uh it was either bob gale or robert shemekka said this and i guess it's a quote from hitchcock that if if the character's good at the job their job the audience will love them anyway. And you can't Ooh. deny that 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 Rudy Russo is good at his job. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's just so he's just yeah. he's just so gleefully this is hey, this is how we do it. And, and he's he's so good at what he does that you're like, oh okay, I kinda like the guy, even though he's a you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he also has he has a lot of good moments. 
like when when he finally sells the guy the car and he, he slaps the bumper sticker on it <laughs> hits the, the pothole on the way out and he's like ah that was a waste of a perfect that scene <laughs> i love that scene the kids fall out of the back of the car i love that so he's like learned from his mistakes yeah well, yeah, isn't that what happens? Then he put it higher up on the next car, so he's learned from his mistakes. I think you're right. He's got a, he's got an arc there. You there know? you go. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. Because the mistake is not that the bumper fell off and that the kids fell out; it's because no. the sticker wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little details like that in this movie, which are really fun to watch if you watch it again. It's just catching like those little tiny gags that they throw in there. Which is nice. Well, yeah, maybe that's a, a good segue unless we have anything. I mean, like I said, I think we could do a whole episode just talking about Kurt Russell, mm. but I, I can I, I think I'll stop myself. And uh, that's that's a good segue to talking about kind of the 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 plot, the writing, just the the craftsmanship of this film. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the kind of creative forces behind it. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, they were kind of a writing team. They had worked on 1941, and then obviously they would go on to work on, you know, Back to the Future. It's kind of uh, another thing I kind of want to talk about later is, man, it's it's so weird to me that Bob Gale wrote the Back to the Future trilogy, one of the most successful, most beloved uh, film series of not just the 80s, but all time. And he's pretty much disappeared from just, I guess, like show business. Um, I think what, yeah. what you mean by disappeared is he is like swimming in a swimming pool full of money like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> yes, I mean, well, that's the thing too, right? You have plenty of people who obviously could retire after one of the films but are mm-hmm. still working. But I wonder if he was just like, yep, yeah, I'm done. I've, I've, I've made, he, you know, especially with doing Back to the Future 2 and 3 back to back. And I'm sure that he got like residuals mm-hmm. and he probably got far more than he did for the first one. And after that, he was probably just done. His last uh, theatrically released film that he's credited on uh, is uh, Bordello of Blood. So hmm. I don't know if anyone remembers that one. But yeah, let's... Did that have Dennis Miller in it? Was, it, uh, was that Tales from the Crypt, Bordello of Blood? Was yes, that, was yes, that one? Yeah, yeah. Or was the, that Demon Knight? No, no, no. That, that, that is the... the uh, yes, that had Dennis Miller in it. Yeah. That was, uh. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, and Corey Feldman and and Chris Sarandon and William Sadler. So uh, hey, we need to do a Bordello of Blood uh, episode. Obviously, yeah. Great do we? But, uh, do we really need to? <laughs> yeah, yes, we do. You know, yeah, I think I think you raise a good point. Why do people disappear uh, after success? I mean, obviously, we know why they disappear after oh. failure. Nobody yeah. returns their phone calls. But the, when you have a big hit, do you just want to rest on your laurels, or is it? And I, this is my feeling. Working in Hollywood. Maybe if you're a superstar, it's great, but otherwise it's, it's really not as much fun as it probably seems to, to people who aren't there. And, you know, you, you work your heart out and then 1941 comes out and everybody literally hates you. Um, you know, it, it could be, it could just be debilitating being a writer. You know, you're at the bottom of the totem pole when you're the writer, that great script this is the best script ever written. I'm going to give it to my 12 year old and have him rewrite all the dialogue. And that's, and you don't get to say anything. They yeah. just do it. You're you're out of the loop at that point. If that you show up on the set, they call the cops. So, you know, I, I could see just you make your money, you, you got your name there, and then you go find something to make you happy. And I don't know, Hollywood's just a just just waiting to break your heart. Well, the funny thing is too, like Bob Gale hasn't disappeared in terms of like he's not a recluse. Like he, I think he still does mm-hmm. interviews. He still, uh, I think, you know, even up into like the 2000s at least he was doing like conventions and stuff 
Um, I know oh, yeah? 2015 obviously was a big year for like Back to the Future, and he was you know he was given interviews and stuff. And so it's not like he's he's not like you know Bill Watterson or, or whoever who who's just disappeared and doesn't want to be heard hey, from. Can I can I just throw something out there? Okay, yeah. listen. If you ever go to a convention and and Mr. Gale is there, and you want him to love you and look at you the way you know you look at, go up to him and say, "I got a question to ask you," and just watch his glazed over eyes look at you, and then ask a question about used cars, and you will see that man's face light up like you won't believe because he has just fielded eleven thousand questions in a row about Back to the Future one, two, and three. You know what? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I am not wrong because I remember uh, <laughs> Felix Felix Sela, who, who the the little person who does all kinds of good stuff. Um, he was at a convention. I started talking to him, and all I wanted to talk about was uh, the Manitou. And he would have talked with me all night because he was so tired about talking about freaking Ewoks. You know, <laughs> what was it like being an Ewok? What do you think it was like? I'm stuffed into a suit, and it's hot, and there's lights on me, and they got me suspended in the air. It was a lot of fun, let me tell you, being an Ewok. Jeez, everything was dubbed. There's nothing you can say about being an Ewok. But the Manitou, yeah, that we had a good time talking about that. Yeah, do that. Just find a movie that, that that's a that's a fun little flick that no one ever talks about, and talk to them about it, and they will they will appreciate you. They will love you for not making them say, tell the same damn story over and over again. Yeah, well, that's my segue. I do well. I do wonder. You know, it would be interesting to hear him talk about this one because yeah, we've we've been talking about structure and, and some of the gags and stuff, and even though the film doesn't uh, like like I I think we we said that it it has probably too much going on the the plot there are often times in the plot where it's like i don't know you you feel like there's a resolution and then they'll just kind of mm -hmm. uh shoehorn in the next conflict you know when they the kind of the whole third act is basically kind of it feels like it comes out of left field to me because yeah yeah he gets, he gets fired and then and then they're like and then she you know, they go to the 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 uh, TV station, and the guy's like, you know, showing them how how he's editing the video, and that sets up the whole conflict in the third act. But that's really, I don't know, that doesn't feel organic to me. It feels like it's just kind of shoehorned in. But at the same you time, you mean the part where he hears about the here they drive past, and, and then the the guy's like, oh yeah, they're they're in court right now. I'm like what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> and he goes there, and you know, a full courtroom for this 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 crappy commercial. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh yeah. but it's funny because there are other things that like i feel like there are certain gags like we talked about you know the the whole uh superstition thing and how that pays off but there are also like there are things that would in other films i think be throwaways and in this movie like he he kind of pays off that uh you know when they're showing the first commercial and which i love the scene so much but when they show in the commercial and and uh and and the you know the the i guess the girl's dress gets ripped off and she's trying to cover up and then and they cut to the family and the wife is like trying to switch the channel <laughs> all the kids are like gathered around I, <laughs> I love that i love that that scene so much and in any other movie that would just be a cutaway but then they cut to the next day where the whole family's at the car lot <laughs> and, that, and that sets up the next gag where you oh, know god yeah. yeah he runs over he pretends to run over the uh the the dog and then the kids falling out so i don't know i feel like there are i feel like there are a lot of things that don't work in this movie or, or there are some things that don't work in this movie but there are a lot of things that are actually set up like very cleverly and uh are probably uh better indicative of of kind of like his future efforts as a writer agreed yeah 
any other thoughts on on and i guess we can also talk about zemeckis like his direction obviously he was pretty green uh like i said this was his second feature film uh, but he would go on i mean he's been you know he's done so many movies oh, yeah. you know, we talked about romancing the stone and we talked about back to the future but i mean he's he's been you know ever since then he's been he's directed forrest gump which uh by the way also uh included a kurt russell cameo as the uncredited voice of elvis he would also do contact castaway beowulf flight you know he's he's done so many movies mm -hmm. uh, but do we think that this kind of forebodes his future as a director or can we see even if it's not a perfect film can we see kind of glimmers of you know what he would do in the next two decades i you know i can't really honestly say looking at this movie I would I would say this this guy's gonna go big places, you know. You saw that with Spielberg. You look at like Spielberg's early stuff, and you're like, yeeks, this this guy's so young and so self assured and everything. But you know, it's always hard with films. It's so tough with films to really make a judgment call on these things because people don't realize a lot of the credit we give to the director belongs to the editor. And, and, you know, a good editor can fix, you know, they can, they can improve a bad film. Um, a great director can be destroyed by bad editing. It's, you know, it, there's, there's such a symbiotic relationship. I, I don't really see anything in this that makes me say this guy's going to be great, except for the fact that it is like really just about his first film and it is his first film. And I think he pulls it off pretty well that, you know, he's, he handles it well it's a dark comedy that can go wrong real fast but i think he he keeps the tone light and and everything you know everyone hits their marks you know i don't when i watch a zemeckis film and i love like i love castaway that's actually one of my just personal favorite films and i don't really see watching it oh that's the zemeckis touch you know he's not a director who who has this personal stamp that, you know, you see, oh, lens flares, that's got to be J.J. Abrams. You know, it, there's nothing like that, that that yells Zemeckis, but he makes good films. He's, I'm not saying he's a hack or a journeyman. It's just that his his technique is not as flashy. You know, it's it's not, there's the Hitchcock kind of directors where you see it and you go, oh, this is a Hitchcock movie. You don't need to tell me. I can tell it's a Hitchcock movie. And then there's some who don't have that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a different style. Right, it's not. He doesn't have like grand signatures that you're going to say. Exactly, that's what I'm trying to say. Go. Signature is an excellent word. Oh, speaking of of pulling it off, I want to I want to actually jump back to when we were talking about cast because there's one other cameo that we forgot to mention, oh. which was see how I, how I did that is well I haven't done it yet. The stripper that's next to oh uh, yeah Kurt Russell on the car is Betty yeah. Thomas. Who, what? Yeah, the stripper who who has like the little bunny pasties. Yes, Betty, Betty Thomas who. Thomas? Yes, Betty Thomas from Hill Street Blues, but also I became love Betty a, Thomas. She's also a direct. She was a director she's of a, a bunch director. of comedies in the '90s, including like the the um, Brady Bunch movies, which were hilarious. She made she made the Howard Stern movie, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. So she she uh, went on to do that, but yeah, it's Betty Thomas, and she's having a ball. Wow. If you look at her face in that, it's really because the first the first time I was like, well, holy shit, that's Betty Thomas. What's she doing? So yeah, huh. sorry, I had to I, go back to that since I was breaking up back when we were. Uh, I know, yeah. Everything else. Thanks for the thanks for the tip there. I, I really yeah, I'd for, I'd forgotten about that. I was like, hey, take it off. Wait, that reminds me of strippers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny too that you mention film editing because I I know I mentioned this earlier, but I think that this is you know film editors. No one I, I think who doesn't work in film probably has no clue what they do they do. 
I've, I've edited stuff just for fun and I still have no idea what an editor really does. But, uh, so, so this was edited by Michael Kahn, who I think prop might have the most impressive filmography of anyone who's mm-hmm. ever worked in film. Let me just read off. So I guess he had been working with Spielberg since, uh, close encounters. So let me just really quick. So these are, this is a list of the films that he has edited in his career. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Ka- Kind, Eyes of Laura Mars, 1941, Used Cars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Poltergeist, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The Goonies, The Color Purple, Fatal Attraction, Empire of the Sun, Last Crusade, Always Arachnophobia, Hook, Alive, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Casper, Twister, Jurassic Park 2, Amistad, The Haunting, Savior Private Ryan. I'm not going to go through all there, there are wait, a bunch wait. of... Yeah. Wait. Oh, oh, yeah. Twister, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. So he has probably... And, and it's funny because... I, I had probably looked at his like page before in the past, but it's it's actually funny when you go back, you know, you were talking about a great director being elevated by uh, a great editor. And if you look at, you know, this, he's, I think almost every film that Steven Spielberg has done hmm. since the seventies or, or early eighties has, has been edited by him. And so hmm. obviously like, I think that a lot of that, and we were, you know, I was talking about the, the difference between, or what I feel like is a big difference between, uh, you know, comedies in the eighties and now is comedies in the eighties were often made by people who were, or were, you know, shot and edited by people who were not necessarily just worked on comedy. So a lot of them don't just look like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a comedy. And then I also mentioned, uh, the cinematographer, Donald Morgan, he hadn't done a ton of stuff, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, did a couple of Carpenter films, uh, Starman and, also, uh, a few years before this, he did the, uh, he shot the TV movie Elvis, starring oh, uh, with Kurt Russell as Elvis. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, any any other thoughts on on any? I know I'm kind of rambling at this point, but uh, any thoughts on <laughs> the writing, directing? I, I think I think uh, you know uh, that's a good point though that you brought up about uh, Zemeckis. He's made some great movies, but I'm not sure if you showed me one of his movies blind, I couldn't necessarily tell you right. it was a Zemeckis film. <laughs> Yeah, especially which, if you watched it blind, it would really be hard to say. Which you know, you know something. Yeah, right. yeah. But you know, if, if, as a writer, maybe that's that almost sounds like the kind of director I'd want to have making, turning my story into a film where everyone doesn't say, "Oh, that's Steven Spielberg. He's a great storyteller." It's like, yes, son of a bitch, I wrote the script. Um, you know that that he wants, and, and I mean this this can go in, in a direction. I mean, I think Ron Howard seems like a lovely guy. And his movies are competent. His movies are, they're put together well, and, and there's nothing bad about them necessarily. But if I hear Ron Howard, they, oh, they brought in Ron Howard to fix Solo. I'm like, okay, um, I'm not expecting greatness here. I don't expect, I don't really expect a great film, Ron Howard. He may surprise me. I think he's going to do a fine job and, and give you a, a, a good film. But I don't think you're going to ever get a great film. Zemeckis has made great films. Um, Sorry, let's let's be clear. Uh, I believe Ron Howard directed Willow, and if we want to talk about great films, that is up there in the in the pantheon of greats. So, okie dokie, Willow. <laughs> uh, anyone anyone listening who would like to uh, leave comments about this episode, uh, about, yeah. uh, Bill Willow, please go ahead. Yes, please. The, are, the are Willow. Am I gonna uh, get? Am I gonna get thirty postcards from the entire Willow fan club? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Uh, do you really think Willow is better th better than Legend? I, I am I'm kidding. I love Willow, but I, I am, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't think I've I mean, seen Willow in a couple decades. I do. You, I mean, honestly, do you think Willow is better than Legend? And I and mark me and mark oh, mark my words. No, Legend no. is not a great movie. But. Uh, I, no, I actually do disagree with you on that. I think Legend is a great film. Uh, I was oh, I was thinking okay. about Willow. I will fight you about Legend though. Oh, okay, all right. I, I mean, I, I'll watch I'll watch Legend again on a dare. We can make that our next movie for all you. I care. <laughs> it's got Tom Cruise, but it's also got Tim Curry, so it cancels out. Hey, look, love Tom Cruise. He's crazy. Uh, he's he's a crazy person in real life. He'll probably yeah. sue me for saying that, but uh, honestly, yeah, well. best actor is working today. So, yeah, you're you're a surprise. I think, I think we're getting off off track here. We are I know totally surprised, but yeah. Well, because we've talked about this movie longer than the movie, so you know that's what happened. <laughs> we talked about like like I said, no one really talks about this movie. I think we've now and, and we've it's, it's, it's yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Bill. No, no, I said, you know, we've we fixed that problem now. Yeah, so we've probably done the first and only podcast ever on uh, on used cars. <laughs> so I don't know, let's, let's just sum up, like, uh, I think, you know, there's there's probably not a lot of talk, or a lot to talk about in this section, but just talking about, like, franchise and legacy. Does anyone feel like this film, I, I'm thinking no, but does it, anyone think that this film had any impact whatsoever on comedy in the 1980s? I'd really love make, i'd love to make that argument because it's always fun to make that argument if there's any film school kids out there who are looking for a you know a paper to write and you got to come up with something semi-plausible you could you could hold this up as you know an example of film i, I think i think a, a smarter way to go would just be to say uh this this film is a devastating critique of capitalism and then go <laughs> on and, and and do that and your professor will probably like it but um, I, I don't feel like it, it got enough attention or, you know, like you said, it really did seem to slip through the cracks for a film as good as it is. Yeah. Everyone likes it, but no one ever talks about it. And it, it, it will show up on those. Here's 10 films from the 80s that you probably haven't heard of. And almost all of them are not only films you've heard of, but they're like your favorite films. Like they, they, they these writers who actually, I guess they were born last year and they really think here's a film you probably haven't heard of the thing it didn't do very well but it's really good you're like oh my god that's everyone's favorite horror movie from the 80s you're an imbecile but uh you know i you know, i i don't know why this one fell through it is a dark comedy and dark comedies you know it's it's they're they're kind of hard to make work but i think it does I don't think there's there's just there's not really anything groundbreaking. It's it's just a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's not raunchy enough to be a raunch fest. It's not silly enough to be an airplane style slapstick thing. And I guess that's really the style. And that it's people are it's going nobody's. For. Well, I guess you're talking about maybe the writer, but uh, I mean, as far as actors go, it's it was nobody's springboard movie, right? Like this didn't catapult. Cross no, into the limelight. Yeah, I mean, and I think part of that is the fact that it failed so badly. I think at the top you were mentioning, Bill, about this coming out right after Airplane. And apparently that yeah. that is, you know, we talked about, yeah, you can credit a million things with any film failing, but apparently that's one thing that uh, I guess the, the film historians have uh, kind of determined is probably the worst, the, one of the worst decisions that they made. Yeah. Uh, it does feel like more than anything, like this, this film had like zero impact on the genre. Uh, it does feel like there are a lot of, 
like critics who actually re remember this fondly. I was reading, um, I guess, like Leonard Malton has, uh, there's a quote I pulled off of Wikipedia where he said, uh, I love to use cars and I'll never under really understand uh, why they didn't become more. Uh, apparently Pauline Kael was, uh, loved this movie, but yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, some of the critics loved it, but no one else. Vincent Canby loved it. But Vincent Canby, he was the critic for the New York Times. He was a ball buster extraordinaire. And yet he found everything funny. He gave good reviews to comedy movies that people hated. You know, he'd go see the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu oh. and be laughing his ass off every time Peter Sellers opened his mouth, you know, which I know I, I envy him. That, that's a, that's a great thing to find even adam sandler movies hysterically funny because the world <laughs> needs more laughter and someone is like i i laugh my ass off i people oh you laughed at that movie like yeah man why are you looking down on them this person has joy in their life i wish i could laugh at all those stupid adam sandler movies but i usually don't i heard the new one's actually pretty funny so i'll give it a try i mean i like to laugh I, i'll give anything a try i think maybe i laughed a lot at uncut gems that was really funny. there you go yeah oh damn yeah that was his funniest movie oh yeah yeah that, that'd be alan that'd be an alan line it's like i haven't laughed this hard since uh requiem for a dream and then he walks on and says oh, and paul, and paul and I are my teenage like, years yeah we'll just be staring at each other like wait did i hear did you hear him say the same thing i heard him say and then we got to like run and chase him down it's like explain yourself mr man but uh I, I think the problem with this movie when, when a comedy bombs it, it gets the stench of death about it because if you make a horror movie and people you know like the thing well they just weren't ready for it it was too extreme you know they'll catch up you make a drama you know people they people just weren't ready they didn't appreciate it movies can be rediscovered when a comedy you can kid yourself that you made a great movie and the audience just didn't get it but when you make a comedy and it bombs the only thing that people think when they hear that is it wasn't funny because if it was funny, it wouldn't have bombed. That's the, that's not always true, but that's the idea that goes across. When you hear that a comedy bombed, it must be because the audience sounded like an oil painting. Nobody was laughing and the jokes just stick because when a comedy does bomb, it's painful. It's painful. You know, there's, there's no kidding yourself when, when the character on the screen tells a joke and the audience is quiet. There's no telling yourself they've they've just been stunned into silence because it's so damn funny. That's not how it works. They <laughs> laugh whether they want to laugh or not. They laugh if they think it's funny. So yeah, I think when comedies don't do well, they kind of disappear. Yeah, that's my theory. That's, even though this film is is like funny, I, I think you're right in that like people think of bad horror films as so bad it's good, hmm. uh, or or you know other you know like the room, <laughs> like that, but a bad comedy is just painful and awkward to watch. Has anyone ever said it was so unfunny I laughed? <laughs> I think so. No, I, I don't think yeah. so. Um, so yeah, yeah, in terms of in terms of legacy, like um, Renee, had you even had you even heard of uh, used cars before we started talking about it? I had not. Yeah. So I mean, it's not necessarily widely known by a lot of people. Yeah. Our, our, so, well, our, maybe we'll fix that. There well, you go. Yeah. The question now, Renee, is are you going to be one of those people who's like, oh, have you ever seen used cars? You should really watch it. It's funny. I absolutely am going to shame people if they have not seen it. Good. <laughs> well, you know, another thing, I don't know, you know, like as far as rewatchability goes, it's it's not a comedy that I would probably watch again. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not saying that it's bad. I mean, I, I love this movie. It's just it's not something that I would, you know, watch, you know, once a year. 
I mean, I, I saw it once. It was, I thought it was great, but yeah, I, it's just not something I would rewatch over and over. Um, yeah. Hmm. I don't know, for, for me, oh, for me, there's certain scenes that are always, I could watch them a million times, certain parts of this movie, like the scene where uh, they, they, I'm doing air quotes here, run over Toby to sell the car <laughs> or, um, or like, or the, like they use car commercial where he's shooting up the cars where apparently they really did use a uh, real buckshot. Um, and, Oh yeah. And, and this, and of course, again, the, the 50 bucks, you know, for, you know, there's certain scenes I could watch over and over again, the whole thing like it does eventually. Cause the, the, the plotting is a little weird in terms of mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a little convoluted in the second half to say the least. You know, the thing we left out also is talking about this huge, this huge cattle drive of cars across the mm -hmm. the desert. Which it was is, very uh, Mad Max-esque, rather. Yeah. Yeah, That's you know, I, I, I was going to say that the I was thinking the same thing. Like, it's kind of funny that it <laughs> there's there's I mean, there, there are action scenes throughout. There's like the scene where he's like driving and trying to kill uh, Fuchs in the car. Um, but then at the, yeah, at the end, it just becomes this straight out, like, uh, <laughs> like almost off-road Mad Max type movie. Right. So our yeah, next, I mean, our jumping next between the vehicles and all that. And yeah. Yeah. He, our next movie should be Blues Brothers. So we're going to be doing a theme of, of car yeah, we've done and car stuff. movies. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll end with the car. There we go. <laughs> well, you know, obviously. Can we throw Killdozer in there? <laughs> Why not? Uh, obviously, the film kind of failed uh, at the box office, so we never got used cars too. Um, but one thing I, I didn't realize this, and I could not find any information about this online. So I don't know if if this is something that you can like find, um, or or you know, it's probably better left buried. But uh, apparently, they did try to reboot this in 1984. They filmed a pilot for a, uh, uh, I guess a, an unproduced television show, like a half hour comedy, um, mm. ca just call it used cars. Uh, and interestingly enough, it, the pilot starred some of the people from the movie. Uh, Deborah Harmon was in it as the same character. Frank McCray was in it. Uh, Michael Talbot, who we actually didn't talk about, but I love him in this, uh, as Mickey the mechanic where he's like, I don't know, old man, $2,400. Um, <laughs> as the same character, so uh again couldn't find any information whatsoever couldn't find like uh mm -hmm. you know probably for the best because when i went and found uh, a few years ago i went and found someone had put the the clerks uh uh sitcom pilot oh. man i wish i hadn't watched that yeah. uh, but i'm kind of interested now to see if if this is something that like still exists anywhere um but obviously it, it uh, didn't get picked up and uh, like the actual film kind of faded into, into obscurity, I guess. Yeah. It's so tricky turning a, a movie into a TV show. You know, I know they all have dreams. They're going to have the next mash, but more likely they're going to have the next, all the spinoffs of mash that disappeared and, and after mash, after mash. Oh Lord. That's now, something that is kind of funny if you look at that if you look on imdb the short <laughs> has a slightly higher rating than the movie yeah well that's the Please. thing i was yeah, i was looking at because i was like okay there are i think 11 ratings on imdb yeah, there's 11 versus like 1600 <laughs> so, so maybe a little skewed 
what I was trying to figure out was like, okay, is this is this because I went and looked in to see if I could find it because I was like, does that mean that it's it's online somewhere or more likely uh, than not, it's just people rating the wrong movie because people are stupid right. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, TV, yeah. Uh, which oh yeah. yeah now that i look at it i rated the short not the movie but hey yeah, if, if if anyone is listening well actually if anyone's listening to this podcast period great uh but if anyone's listening and knows anything about the used car tv pilot uh please please get a hold of me and let me know uh because i would love to see it cool any other any other thoughts or do we want to kind of move on to kind of final ratings and, and thoughts on the movie I think let's move on. Let's do it. Well, Paul, uh, let's start with you. Uh, if you were to rate this film out of five VHS tapes, what would you give it? I'd give it a good solid four VHS tapes. It's still a still holds up. It's still funny. I, I like I said, it's got so many great lines, so many great scenes. Um, it's not the you know, it, it's it, it's it's a it's a good funny comedy. I mean, it didn't have lasting impact, but. Uh, I watch it again and some, some good belly laughs out of it. So yeah, that would be four out of five VHS tapes. <laughs> Great. Uh, how about you, Alan? Did this, did this hold up for you after watching it again after so many years? Uh, yes, it did. And I also, you know, since you're going to be editing this over and over and over, I did want to remind you that October 15th is the deadline for our 15 second short. And on top of that, I would like to give this four out of five VHS tapes. <laughs> Great. Uh, yep, I, I will. I will have that to you by the deadline, Alan. <laughs> and uh, thank you for reminding me. Uh, in, um, in fairness, Alan, you're asking the man to edit an entire 15 seconds. Okay. I mean, that could take that could take weeks. So listen, audience. Alan has a lovely house, much much nicer, neater than mine, and and a really patient wife. I don't know why she ever allow us to ever be in his house when it's like, okay, we're going to shoot him with blood, but we'll put these garbage bags where we think the blood might go. We kept it off of most of the carpet. Yeah, most of it went there. God. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to edit out all the talk about like film editing just so that. We <laughs> so no one knows your shame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Renee, what yeah. did you think on your first watch? About you know, I thought it was good. Um, I think I would give it three and a half. Um, it was enjoyable. I could probably watch it again, but maybe it's something where, you know, you're doing other stuff and then you're just kind of, you know, having on in the background. Um, yeah, it was enjoyable. I would, you know, I think Paul said the same thing. Like there would definitely be scenes that I would watch again. Um, with the, with the dog and the station wagon, that just the whole scene of the dog the acting was outstanding. And then the kids falling out of the car, which again, one of my favorite subreddits is kids falling down. Uh, <laughs> or children falling down. And it's, all I need to know about you. Yeah. Like you uh, even, even that much more as a person. Yeah. It's a really, it's great. And um, so that scene just tickles me. And, uh, and then when, um, Oh, I forget his name. The friend, when he realizes he's in the red car there are, you know, certain little scenes like that that are just really great. But then, uh, there, there, there is a lot. And now I'm thinking about the women in the movie or the lack thereof. And then, you know, yeah. sub subconscious racism. No, um, it was pretty good though. I enjoyed it. And, you know, it was, it was a movie, it was just funny. And it's good to have a movie where you can just kind of 
laugh about it and then not really have to think too much about it later. <laughs> yeah. A, a funny uh, side note, we keep talking about the kids falling out of the car. Uh, I actually, because I was going through and looking at all the kind of bit actors, and from what I could tell, those were like actual kids falling out of the back of the car. Yeah. Uh, like, but but the, the thing is, two of them actually went on to become stunt people. So <laughs> they, they were actually... That's because their parents were the stunt people. Oh, really? So that's yeah. They said because they were, that was one of the things they covered is they said they're actually the stunt man's kids. Nice. Added up and they said, "Oh my god, we could never get away with this nowadays." Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's yep. awesome. That that's funny because yeah, I, I recently read a book about stunt people and how often it will be it'll be there will be like generations of them. But yeah, I, I didn't have that context, so I was looking at that. I was like, maybe they fell out and they're like, "Oh, I want to do this for a living," but that makes <laughs> way more sense. <laughs> See, I'm glad I'm glad someone actually did research and listened to the commentary so you can bring these uh, these tidbits. Well, I had to watch it a second time because we watched it so long ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I'm like, oh, better watch this again. And Bill, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, I, I just assumed that they they had like midget stuntmen, but those would be they those would cost money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but kids, yeah, especially if you got their their parents okay. That's awesome. Um, hey, I'm with Renee on the uh, that there's some things that always make me laugh kids falling down yeah that's definitely funny but i always <laughs> laugh whenever a character throws something off screen and you hear a cat go Rawr! okay that <laughs> yeah. cracks me up every single wow. damn time that's that's a that's a keeper i much like renee will also give this three and a half tapes so three tapes and one that's only been rewound halfway yes um yeah i like it it's you know, it's an 80s comedy. It's not a lot of belly laughs. Although I think this one, unlike Alan, I think I will watch it again because sometimes I find comedies funnier the second time, especially when there are comedies like this where the laughs don't really depend on one-liners because then you know the, the punchline. So that's not quite as funny, but more the situation. So like when the thing with the dog started, I was laughing, but I was also nervous because this movie is dark enough that they might have actually run over the dog. Yeah. So there was that part. And my wife's looking at me like, they're not going to kill that dog, are they? Because that's always a deal breaker for her. Yeah. Um, so I was a little nervous. And, you know, it's, it's very funny. But now that I know the dog makes, I can just enjoy it for the comedy genius that it is. Uh, just a perfect setup. That dog really flopped over real well when he picked him up, his head hanging down. He's like, that is a well-trained, that is a good dog. He got a treat for that. Well, yeah, we also we didn't talk about the dog, but uh, Tony uh, Toby played by Peanuts, according to the credits, great dog actor. Although apparently, from what I read, they actually sedated the dog in that scene. So oh. Yes. Okay. Well. Oh, hey, he's not. Listen, he's not the first actor that had to be sedated to perform right on. <laughs> uh, Jerry was fine. Bill, totally random side question, but sure. have you ever seen uh, Wet Hot American Summer? Wet Hot is that the one by Savage Steve Holland or something? No, uh, yeah, okay, it's on Netflix. Go watch it. I only oh, mentioned oh. it because there's I, a run you know, go ahead. There's a running gag in that movie where people will throw stuff off scene and then you'll hear like pottery smashing, and it cracks me up every time. They do it over and over and over, and every time the, I laugh. The, tr so. the trick to that is that the actors never react to it. Yes, they yes. never they never even look off screen. They throw something, cats scream cars slam on their brakes and hit a tree pottery breaks whatever the reaction is the the actors must never acknowledge it that's what makes it funny yeah no oh, uh, oh. That, that, that actually that actually reminds me there's a scene in here the scene in here where garrett graham he's in the when he first notices the car is red and he gets out and he's backing across the highway and the car oh. comes up 
and almost hits him and swerves around him. But that was all done practically, and Garrett Graham didn't even realize how close the car came to him. Oh, and wow. if you watch it, it's, it's terrifying. Go back, and it's like if he had just like tripped, there would have been no more Garrett Graham. He would have been smushed on the highway. No, I did. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I, I totally. I had forgotten about that scene, but I I kept expecting uh, the car to like slow down or something, and then yeah, it almost sideswipes him. Um, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Speaking of things you probably couldn't get away with these days. Uh, you know what? Listen, when Kurosawa needed uh, Toshiro Mifune to look like he was being shot at by arrows and thrown to blood, he shot arrows at him. That's what they did back in the day. That's how you got good reaction from actors for Madonna's. <laughs> well, I, I think I'm I'm kind of with the general consensus here. Uh, so I, I had watched this. We were going to uh, we talked about doing this a few weeks ago and I watched it and then uh, it took us a while. And I, I actually rewatched it again last night. And I think I think I might have rated it a little bit higher if I'd only watched it once. I think watching it again uh, so soon, it, that's when I started noticing some of the like some of the kind of narrative mm -hmm. faults. So yeah, I, I would, I'm gonna say it's still it's still uh, probably one of my favorite, probably a top ten '80s comedy for me. Uh, I am definitely gonna say this is like a three. Like you said, three three tapes and one one unwound rewound tape that's gonna cost someone uh, some money to get rewound at the store. But yeah, I think it's I think it's a solid movie. I think it's a solid comedy. Uh, I think it's got plenty. You know, like I think you were dead on, Paul, when you're like, this is not a film like Airplane or you know even like a Monty Python where you can just sit down and watch it and it's just like yeah. nonstop blast. But I think it's got enough great moments and enough great gags that. Uh, it's it's worth you know every once in a while putting it on. Well, uh, does anyone have any any other final thoughts? I think I think we probably like like we said <laughs> we probably probably talked about this movie more than any of the uh, actors or or uh, creators have in the last twenty five years. So, um, does anyone else have any any final thoughts or? So the, the final math is that we gave this a three point seven. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, thank you. I, I forgot to mention that. Oh, yeah, good, three point seven videotapes. Not bad. So almost got that fourth tape rewound, not quite. <laughs> well, and I think that is if 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 you go by, let's see, yeah, it's still still a higher rating. I was kind of surprised it only has like a six point eight on the IMDb, but that just shows that people don't have yeah. taste. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, it's been fun. I, I know that it's kind of I, I I was actually I never thought that we would talk about a comedy because I comedy is so subjective and so difficult yeah. to talk about and it's very hard to like dissect but uh i i had fun talking about this one uh hopefully you know maybe one or two people watch this movie because they they see this and uh hopefully they enjoy listening to us discuss it um does anyone have any i know this is this is a common podcast thing does anyone have anything they want to plug before we leave i know bill always does because he's on like a million podcasts <laughs> Oh, oh, well, that's true. Yeah, that's about the only thing you can do safely these days is podcasts. Uh, yeah. Decades of Horror at gruesomemagazine.com. We do Decades of Horror the 70s. Let's see, what is, oh, we're going to do Dr. Fibes Rises Again and uh, Decades of Horror the 80s, and we're going to do Ms. 45. So those will be coming up pretty soon. And given the timing of this episode, those are probably they, already out. <laughs> those came out months ago. And you those will be, out. you'll find them in the archives. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh cool <laughs> well if, if no one has anything else thanks everyone thanks for listening to the two of you who made it all the way through uh we hope you enjoyed the episode <laughs> good night folks 
Good night. Well, hopefully you enjoyed our discussion about used cars. And if you did, we'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Or hit us up on Twitter at Video Junkies Pod. That's Video Junkies P-O-D. You can also find us online at www.videostorejunkies.com. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about a whole different type of used cars, the kind you can only find in the post-apocalyptic wasteland of The Road Warrior. In the meantime, don't forget to rewind those tapes. Good night. Well, these people did. Used cars, about a group of dedicated businessmen who'll do anything to sell a car. We can't do a commercial wearing these. We'll come off looking like a couple of... $695, you got it. Let's take a look under the hood, shall we? What? Hey, look, Now wait just a minute. What the hell is this? Is this a 1977 450 SL for $24,000? That's too Used cars. It's a dirty business.